Good morning. My name is Laura Bonk, and we have attended um, City Church for eight years. I serve with the children's ministry and prayer and communion. And today I have the honor of reading James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives you generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed in the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believe in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, and its blossoms fail and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who preserves under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Before we jump into the book of James this morning, I'm going to take care of some family business, some things that we get to do this morning. So I'm going to invite Miss Mandy to the stage with me, wherever Miss Mandy is. Give it up for Miss Mandy. If any of our elders are in the room, any of our staff as well, I want you to come up with us. We're going to pray over Miss Mandy. I say this pretty often. I don't know how long you've been at City Church, but how many know transition is a normal part of life? Right, you're gonna transition to and from places, and um, I think how you transition matters. And uh, I know transition can be bittersweet, but we are celebrating today. Uh, Mandy has served as City Kids Director here at City Church for almost four years, two years as a volunteer before that, and uh, just recently transitioning out of that role as City Kids uh, Director. And how many know that it's worthy of honor when you transition well, amen? And she has done that and something that she will always be able to celebrate. There are so many sacrifices that she has made behind the scenes for this body of Christ, this church, way beyond her job description for these, our families, for our kids, and uh, we just wanna honor her today, Prover. I only say this as well, right after this service in the pathway room, you may have seen some balloons over there, those are for her. Um, and so we are gonna honor her, just a celebration. If you have some time to stop by, we also have just a book that we would love for you to write a, a note, encouragement, a story, in what ways she's impacted you. That's something that she can always read and remember. And again, Mandy, thank you for all of the sacrifices that you have made for this church. Can we do this this morning? Can you stretch out your hands to her? And we're gonna pray over her and bless her um, as a church, as a staff, our elders and team, and just uh, part of a way to say thank you. So, Father, we thank you so much for Mandy, her investment into the kingdom of God, uh, into this church, into this body. God, all of the hundreds and thousands of seeds that have been sown into this church, into our families, into our kids, Father. I pray that every sacrifice that she had made, God, would you bless her? God, would it, would it come back upon her, Father? God, I pray that this next season of her life would be a beautiful season, God, of just connecting with you, of rest, God, of 
uh, just rejuvenation, Father. I just speak life and blessing over her, Father. We thank you so much, God, um, and for her heart, for her life, for her legacy that she has left at, at this church and will continue to leave, Father. We just bless her, Father. God, as, as leadership, God, we just lay our hands upon her. We bless her, Father. We thank you for what you have done, what you will do, Father. We thank you for all of the lives that have been impacted by her yes, by her obedience, God. And we bless her in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Would you give it up for her? Would you honor her? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Please take a moment, tell her. If you're not able to come by, send her an email. Let her know how much uh, you appreciate. Uh, she has done, well, as, as a lead pastor, let me just say this. You love it when people transition well when they leave it in a way that the next person can take it, hand off and, and take it to the next level and I'm so grateful for her and her heart and everything that she's done for this church body. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James. James is where we're going to be as we're gonna, the next several weeks, launch into this uh, new series. We've done a lot of books of the Bible the year. We do, usually do at least one, if not two a year. We've never done the book of James and so we're, we're due. A uh, little bit of background context, James is the half-brother of Jesus. There's many people named James all throughout the New Testament. How do we know that this was this particular James? Uh, when Peter leaves the Jerusalem church in the book of Acts, we see that James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like home base for the church. It's where it all began. It, it is kind of uh, the mothership for all other sending churches. And so James becomes a leader uh, of that church. Uh, we see in the book of Acts. And he's writing to those who have been dispersed. So there was a persecution that broke out against the church in Jerusalem. It caused many of those followers of Jesus to spread out all over the area. And so this is why you get some of the letters because now you have a church that's kind of spread out all over the place. In this series, let me just tell you, we won't cover every single verse in the book of James, we're gonna cover the major themes, major topics. One of the reasons why is because James is very random uh, wisdom sayings. And so James will pick up here and then he'll kind of get sidetracked and he'll come back to it. And so it doesn't read just kind of, kind of like a coherent Pauline letter. It's kind of all over the place which can make it difficult sometimes to track. James is uh, not a heavy theological book. It is heavy on practical application. And so he is influenced by two major sources. Number one, the Sermon on the Mount. You're gonna pick up echoes of the Sermon on the Mount in the life of Jesus. How many know if Jesus is your half-brother, you spend a lot of time with him, right? So the question after first service, did they fight growing up? I have no idea, so you can wrestle with that. But the half-brother of Jesus, he, take, he picks up on the sayings of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And then the second major influential book would be the book of Proverbs, Application Wisdom taking these truths about the gospel and who God is and applying them to everyday life. And so we're not talking a book like Colossians where it's in the cloud, high theology. We're talking about street level base. What does it mean for us to live out the gospel in our context? James is gonna say, that's great that you say you love Jesus, but how do you treat the poor? Amen? How do you treat the oppressed, the widow, the orphan? Oh, you claim to know Jesus, but do you walk in obedience? And so he's gonna get extremely practical with us. If you're taking notes and following along, kind of a recap that will help guide us is this. The book of James is composed of short wisdom speeches designed to teach the church how to be wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah, to love God and to love your neighbors. So James, very heavily Jewish background, writing to, uh, to Jews who had, had come to Christ 
And it's, this is how Jesus summarizes the Torah, and he summarizes it in very simple ways, to love God and to love your neighbors, and here's how we do that. We're gonna pick up James chapter one, uh, starting in verse one. There's not a lot of intro in this book, which means James knew his audience and they knew him, and we don't need a lot of fluff and intro. And then he gets right into what I believe is maybe one of the most powerful verses in the entire book of James, and he leads off with it. And he says this, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many know James did not say if you face trials, but when? When, because we live in this in-between space of Christ has come, but Christ will come again, in this age of brokenness, and how many know you have trials in your life right now? And everybody said, amen. That trials are a part of life. Trials are a normal part of life, and we know that we are going to experience them. Some of you today, all of us could name a trial. Some of you may be going through the trial of your life. It may be a lost marriage or a medical diagnosis or something that just rocked and shaken you to the core. I want you to see what James is compelling us to believe in James chapter one, verse two. He's not saying, would you please pretend this is fun, right? He's not saying, put on a smile and fake it till you make it. He's not saying look over to your neighbor and tell him that you're blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Come on now. It's not what James is telling us to do. James is saying, I want you to shift your perspective, your mindset and how you see trials because joy is not a natural response to trial, amen? Oh, anybody, that's weird. You know, if it's just like, oh yeah, every time something comes up, I'm just like, man, yes, you know? No, that's not how we respond. But he says, what if you shifted your mindset? What if you saw it from a different angle, a different lens. If you were with us last week, we had three awesome people give messages if you were here. If you're not, you need to listen to it. And Pastor James last week, James Olson, talked about your kingdom glasses. To understand what James, the writer James, is saying in this passage, we have to put on our kingdom glasses or it simply does not make sense. Uh, some of you know this, last weekend, uh, me and my oldest child, he, uh, he turned 13, so we returned from a trip we got to take a trip when you're 13 years old in our house. It's kind of a rite of passage. You get to pick what trip you want to go on to. So we had a lot of kind of back and forth on what, it was going, what he was going to do. And, and he's a baseball guy. He loves to play baseball. He's a pretty good little baseball player. And so he decided that he wants to go and visit all these major league stadiums all around the country. And how many know it's really nice when dad wants to do what you want to do? And so it just aligned really well, and so uh, we flew into New York City, spent several days in New York City, just kind of explored it, because he'd never been there. We went to a Mets game and a Yankees game. Then we rented a car and drove back to Tulsa, hitting like Philadelphia, Cleveland, Detroit, St. Louis, all these baseball parks, uh, just kind of on the way home. And it was beautiful, it was, we had an incredible time, and uh, as much as I love baseball, love baseball stadiums, it wasn't really about the baseball, it was about one-on-one -on -one time uh, with my son, just hundreds of conversations and moments in the car and on the subway and walking the streets where uh, we just got to talk about life and it wasn't forced because you know how many know if you spend 10 days together you're going to have a few conversations right and just whatever came up and we were walking down Manhattan and I could tell he saw something out of the corner of his eye and I'm like do you, do you know what that is over there and you know he was like I think I do but I'm not sure and I'm like well let's talk about it so we sat on a park bench in Central Park and we talk an hour about sexuality and moving from boyhood to manhood and how to struggle well and honestly and, and what it looks like because how many know somebody else is not gonna disciple my kids? And um, as the kids, your kids get older, you know, you move from control to influence and influence only happens with time together, amen? 
and trust and becoming friends and we got to have you know, a lot of those kind of just moments together and just beautiful time, but we are actually sitting in the uh, Tulsa International Airport uh, flying directly to New York City, one way direct flights and how we know your pastor has a gift when it comes to flying. <laughs> I just preached on this a few, few months ago. Guys, I'm on my sixth straight trip with a mechanical failure on a plane. I'm not joking, I said this to you, you're probably gonna arrive alive, but you will not arrive on time if you fly with me. And uh, we're sitting there, it's a 7 a.m. flight, and so it's like 6.20, 6.30, something like that. When I preach through a book of the Bible at City Church, I, I take these little journals, uh, Crossway made these, like $50 for the whole New Testament, this is just the letter of James, and so we're sitting, waiting to board our flight, and I have this, and, and what I do is I just journal through whatever book of the Bible we're gonna we're gonna wrestle with what we're doing before I go to a commentary or what everybody else says about it. And it's just the text on one side and another side where you can journal. And I'm a journaler. It's kind of the, one of the ways I connect with God and grow in my relationship with God. And so I open this up, no joke, 6.30 a.m. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How many know that was a setup, right? I should have known, I should have seen it coming. And uh, I've just kind of learned to accept it at this point. My wife thinks it's hilarious. I don't find it nearly as funny. And so, you know, it's 6.30, 6.40, you know, you should be boarding. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you're headed to LaGuardia this morning, we just want you to know our pilot has a, a malfunction light that's come up. We think it's gonna be a quick fix. And just hang tight with us. I'll update you here in a minute. I've seen this movie. I know how it ends. <laughs> and I'm sick of it, all right? And you, know, you delay the flight for an hour, and then every time you get closer to the, to the boarding, it, it goes up another hour, right? Have you ever been there? You've been on one of those flights? And so now it's like 10 a.m., and they're updating everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're headed to LaGuardia, we've decided this plane is no longer operable for today, so we're trying to find you another plane. And everybody loses their mind, right? Because that's what happens. I don't think you should be able to get married unless you go with your future spouse on a trip and your flight gets canceled, you know, <laughs> or delayed. Because you just see everybody, and I get it, like you've got plans and ladies in front of us had Broadway tickets, they're like, we paid so much, what are we gonna do? We're not gonna get there, and everybody's losing their mind, and some people are getting in line, and we're like, I'm gonna fly to Chicago first and get here, and you're trying to figure it out. And I just looked at Jackson, and I was like, buddy, I'm sorry, man, but here's, I'm, I'm preaching on James in a couple weeks, and I was studying, and I'm like, we're gonna count this joy, all right? We're gonna have a good time no matter what and we're gonna do our best. And let me tell you, we had an eight and a half hour delay in Tulsa International Airport. We, we were doing really well the first five hours. Come on now. <laughs> that $12 voucher to Chili's, we sat down, had our salad and chicken crispers and life was good. Those last three hours, I don't know if I was counting it pure joy. I gotta be honest with you. And I could see it in his face because he was like, he wanted to get there so bad and this was his trip and he was looking forward to it and it was just disappointment. I mean, eight and a half hours. I was thinking to myself, it's a direct flight, one way, like my, my streak's gonna end. It did not, but we made it to New York City. How many know it's hard to see obstacles as opportunity? It's really difficult. Because it's like you have somewhere to go and you have places to be and there's things that you wanna do and whatever gets in the way is an interruption to the things that I wanna do in life. And this is exactly what James is trying to shift inside of his readers. He said, what if it wasn't about getting there, but what, is, what if it was about what God was trying to do in the in-between? And it takes a perspective shift to get there. And he's actually writing to these people this letter and he's like, what if you didn't just try to scrape through this trial? What if you didn't just try to, to grit your teeth and bear it? 
What if you actually asked this audacious question of God, what are you doing in me? At the time of James writing, his audience could have been going through poverty and injustice and conflict and sickness and grief, persecution. And James deliberately keeps his language vague. He doesn't say exactly what kinds of trials and struggles. And I'm glad he keeps it vague because you and I can kind of fill in the blank, right? Whatever trial you're, you're facing today, you can fill in the blank. Here is the problem. Here's the struggle with this reality. If your goal is ease and comfort, you will wholeheartedly reject this verse from the book of James because it's in your way. If your goal in life is Christ-likeness and to look like Jesus, then we have a chance, right? Because my goal is not just getting to New York City even though I'd like to get there. My goal is, Jesus, what are you doing inside of me and how do you wanna shape me? Like there was a family when this flight, you know, all these delays are happening and this family in front of me, like I'd never seen somebody take it as well as they did. Two boys and a mom and dad and they're like, they're having fun. They're playing a game in like the airport. Everybody else is losing their mind. They're having fun. And I actually walked up to him and I was like, man, I, I just want to commend you because you guys are, are doing really well. And she said, you know, we fly a lot with our kids and we just made it a point a long time ago that we're going to have joy no matter what we do. And I'm like, I am using you in my sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that illustration. I'm trying to do as well as you are with all of this, right? As I'm boarding the plane, the, the guy in front of me, he wants every American airline agent to know how horrible of a person they are. I'm never flying you again. You guys are all incompetent, things like And then he turns around for me for like backup. You ever been there? It's like, you get him too. And I'm like, ma'am, I want you to know how much I appreciate you, right? Like you had anything to do with the mechanical malfunction on the whatever light on the plane. No, you, you're doing, doing everything you can and I appreciate you. And he kind of looks at me like, that's not what I wanted you to say, you know? <laughs> Consider it pure joy. When you face trials of many kinds. Then James goes on and he says, in fact, the only way we can actually get to this place of maturity is through testing and perseverance. That our faith are like muscles, and if muscles aren't worked, they don't grow. So trials actually become the fitness strategy for us as believers. I know, I wish there was another way. I wish the fitness strategy for us was just life going up and to the right, and we just produce fruit. But God says, actually, the way that you produce fruit is through struggle, and learning how to persevere, and learning how to hold on. If you've ever done an off-season workout, played a sport, you've ever been to a, a class or you've trained for certain things, you know it can be painful, right? I know it doesn't look like physically, but I did like seven years of CrossFit at a noon class every day, and I hated it every day. There are some people that are like, I just love it. I'm like, that's weird, I don't know. And I would walk in, and I would be changing in the, in the locker room, and they would, these guys would come in, they'd be like, oh, you should, today's, today's workout's horrible. I mean, it's the worst thing ever, it's gonna kill you. And then the next day, it's like, oh, it's so bad, you know? And it's like, why do we do this to ourselves, right? Well, some of you in the room know it's because of the fruit that it produces, right? It's because of what, how you feel and the things that it produces inside of you, and you're like, the pain is worth it because of the results. And I think that's what James is getting to. No, it's not fun. It's not easy. But it's shaping you. And God is working inside you and through you. James says testing leads to perseverance, and perseverance leads to maturity. How many know you have to experience life in order to understand this truth? 
This has become one of my life verses, and I've preached on this passage a lot, but I'm gonna read it to you again because I think it's worth it. Philippians 4.10, Paul to the church in Philippi, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, and did you, indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have, I want you to look at that word, for I have learned. Paul's writing this towards the end of his life. I've learned something. He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I've hit rock bottom. I know what it is to have plenty. I've had more than enough. And I have, look at that word again. I've learned. I've learned the secret of life. I've learned this mystery. Everybody's looking for the secret of life, the, the secret sauce that's gonna unlock like contentment and purpose and joy and all the things. Paul says, I learned it, but I also learned it the hard way. Like grab an older, wise person in your life and ask them the secret of life and they'll probably tell you like, I've had it all and I've had nothing and I had to learn that none of those can fulfill the deepest longings in my soul, only Jesus can fulfill that. And if you don't discover that, what you end up doing is just chasing things your whole life. You're jumping from one thing to the next like, oh, this relationship's gonna do it for me. No relationship will ever satisfy. No, marriage doesn't check the box of, oh, now I'm fully content because I found my, my other half, the person that completes me. No. Oh, come on. Right? This, this next trip or job or this income level, if I just get here, no, Paul says, no, I've had it all. I've had nothing. Jesus is everything. I've learned this, and I don't know about you, but I wanna get there, amen? Like, I, I truly aspire to get to the place where Jesus is fully enough for me where even in the midst of like interruptions and all the obstacles, I can look and be like, man, I, I'm so grateful for today for what I do have. How many know a delayed flight is not the end of the world, right? There's a lot bigger trials in life, but in the moment, it's hard to have joy, isn't it? It's hard to have joy because I have dinner reservations tonight in Manhattan and New York City, and we've got plans and we've got things to do, right? But I wanna have joy in the moment. Here it is again, Paul says in Romans 5.3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So what do we learn? We learn this, that Christians are not exempt from the storms and trials of life, amen? The Christians are exempt from storms and trials with no purpose. But this requires faith. This requires faith to believe that God is at work in your storm and trial. Because how many know when you're in a storm and trial, all you can see is how it affects you, what's happening. It's hard to see that God is actively at work. How can we have joy in the trials of life? I'm gonna go through these pretty quickly. Four things that I think will help us. Number one, your mindset and your theology must be prepared for the trials of life. Have you prepared yourself for difficulty? I always tell people, if you've not developed a theology of suffering, you will, because you're gonna suffer. And I sit down with people in the, in the most broken moments of their life, and they don't, if they don't have a theology for suffering, a theology that has, has, has accepted the fact that suffering is inevitable, like right now your bodies and my bodies are de decaying, aren't they? We're, we're in the process of dying. Like nobody will live forever, is that, can we say that out loud, right? If we don't develop a theology of suffering, then we get caught off guard whenever we go through it. God, where are you? Are you good? Are you here? Are you involved? God, God, God's in all of those things, right? He's actively involved. And we know that and we root ourselves in the goodness of God and who God is. 
before we even walk into the trial. Number two, you must be able to see what God is doing in and through the trial. This requires faith. You have to get your eyes just off of just of what's happening to you and, and what God is doing. Number three, your goal must be spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness, not the things of this world. I already touched on this. If your goal is pleasure and to have fun and to fill your life with as many good things, you will never reach spiritual maturity. You'll never reach that place. Number four, you must develop an eschatological vision of the future and not just a hope for the present. You're like, that's a big word. It just means the end of all things, the end of time. Have you developed a vision for the end of things or is your vision right here? Because there's a lot of followers of Jesus. If they were honest with you, their vision is for what is happening to me right now and I can't see beyond it and I can't see how God is working. No, our vision is to a future, right? When all things are gonna be restored and renewed and every tear will be wiped away and there's no brokenness and there's no mourning and there's so, no sorrow and guess what? That longing in your soul right now that you long to be filled, it will be fully satisfied, amen? Man, that's my vision. That's what keeps me tethered is that God's gonna renew and redeem and restore all things. So guess what? I can endure anything in the moment if I have that promise, amen? Do we have an eschatological future, vision for the future that keeps us rooted and fixed? James says, testing leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to maturity. And maturity will bring us to a place where it says we lack nothing. Would you think about that for a minute? where you lack nothing. If you're taking notes and following along, this is gonna be the best thing that I say all morning. The person who lacks nothing is not the person who has everything, but the person who needs nothing. This is the counterintuitive way of the kingdom of God. And this does not make sense to the world. The person who lacks nothing is not the person who has everything. It's the person who needs nothing. My son and I are sitting in Philadelphia at a Phillies-Orioles game. Those two teams hate each other. It went to extra innings. We're sitting in the Orioles section, but we're in Philadelphia. It's a sold-out stadium of like 45,000 people. There's people yelling at each other. It is so tense. I love that moment. Come on now. Pastor Matt lives for that. And I'm just eating a hot dog because I don't care about either team. And it's just great. A night baseball game, sold out stadium. I don't know if there's a better venue anywhere for me. And I'm watching the battle out and, and Bryce Harper gets up to the plate and my son and I are talking about it and we're like, man, Bryce Harper's kind of struggling this year. He's coming off an injury. He's only got five home runs and kind of struggling. And Jackson says something like, well, he doesn't care because I mean, look how much money that guy has. And Bryce Harper just signed a deal 13 years for $330 million. Come on now. $330 million to play baseball. Come on. That's crazy. And he says something along those lines, and I looked at Jackson, and I was like, you know Bryce Harper has tr problems just like me and you. And he's like, yeah, but $330 million can make a lot of them go away. <laughs> this is him saying that to me. And I was like, I, I, I felt like this needed to be a dad teaching moment, right? I was like, yeah, I, it's, I get it. It's a whole lot better to have stuff than to not have stuff. But dude, Bryce Harper has issues, just like you and I have issues. And money doesn't buy contentment and joy, does it? Content, it doesn't buy you all the things that you truly desire. I mean, there's no check you can write for that. Yeah, I guess you're right, Dad. I don't know. It just seems like it'd be better to have it, you know? <laughs> I get it, son. 
The person who lacks nothing is not the person who has everything, but the person who needs nothing. I think one of the greatest tactics and schemes of the enemy is deceiving us into believing that we need something more than Christ to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. And we don't say that out loud, we just live our lives that way, chasing the things, neglecting the soul, chasing the things, and then doing it all over again. And I almost wonder, like Paul, do we, do we ever get to the place, like, hey, you know what, I've learned the secret. I'm gonna stop chasing. And so whether I'm well-fed or hungry, living plenty or want, on the mountaintop or in the valley, I'm gonna learn that Christ is everything. And I'm gonna do the hard things in my life to kind of reorder my heart around the things of God and not the things of this world. Because I wanna lack nothing. One of my favorite quotes, I quote this all the time, I quote it in my book, there's a whole kind of chapter and section of the book written on this. Blaise Pascal, he says, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay quietly in their own room. You know why I love this quote so much? Because it speaks to my soul. Am I content in Christ alone? Or do I need some kind of external stimulus to kind of keep me moving and keep me going and all the things? You know, there's a reason that right after worship, before we're seated, we continue to worship, and this giving liturgy comes up on the screen. And if you've been around here, I know sometimes you say the giving liturgy, and it may be like, I don't even know what I just said, but I just did it because we do it every week. But actually, what you, what you realize about liturgies is they form us, maybe, maybe unconsciously at times. They're forming us. You know that one part that says, and we choose the difficult path of stewardship? Stewardship means I'm gonna manage my, my finances in a way that people, other people don't manage it because because that is what God's called me to. And then it says simplicity. And some people are like, well, that's kind of weird that you have simplicity up there. How many know you and I need simplicity? Complexity does not add value to our life. When, when I pick up my phone and I've got like 42 notifications, how many know that that does not add value to my life? Oh, but there are 42 apps that are supposed to make your life better. Nope, they don't. And so I get rid of them. Because more is not better. In fact, what you have to do is you have to train your heart to love less, right? To need less. I don't need all of the things in this world to be satisfied because Christ is sufficient for me. Choose the difficult path of stewardship, simplicity. What's the last one? Come on, you got it memorized? I like it, I like it. You are listening. And gratitude. I'm gonna choose gratitude. I'm gonna choose to be thankful. If you were here at midweek on Thursday night, my wife shared that even with some of our kids who have been struggling with anxiety, there was a recently a study that came out that your brain can't have anxious thoughts and thankful thoughts simultaneously because they're so opposed to each other. And so she's been teaching our kids like when there's anxiety in this, if you replace it with gratitude and thankfulness, your anxiety, it's a way to deal with it. I think that's true. I think it's the way that we can deal with things by just saying, I'm gonna be thankful. I, I, I hate interruptions. I hate, I hate like things not going, that's why I like these flight delays. I'm just like, I can get so frustrated and I just sit there and I'm reading this and I'm preparing this and it's not because I was preaching. I'm literally talking to Jackson about this and I'm like, bro, I'm just so excited that I get to be here with you 
and we're gonna make it to New York City today, tomorrow, or the next day. We're gonna have a great time. We're gonna have fun no matter what, right? We're gonna choose joy. We're gonna choose it. Because if not, how many know the little trials and interruptions will steal all your joy every day? Because something's gonna happen and something's gonna interrupt your schedule. I'm gonna choose joy. I'm gonna choose to trust God through this trial. I'm gonna be the person that can worship God in the midst of the trial because God is still good no matter what I'm going through. I'm gonna be the person who finds joy when it's 75 degrees outside, come on now, and when it's 108. Some of you needed that this week, right now. That was a word for you. It's hard to find joy when you're like, I don't wanna step outside. I wanna be the person that can sit in a room with, without my phone, without needing some other things. I don't have to go somewhere, because guess what? My soul is at rest. My contentment's in Christ. So today, if I meet victory and joy after joy, I rejoice in that. And guess what? If I meet trial today, I rejoice. Come on, does anybody else aspire to that? I think we only do that when we get our mindset right, when we allow the Holy Spirit to reshape our heart and understanding, when we take the words of James and say, okay, James, I know it's not gonna be easy, and I'm gonna struggle through this one, but I'm gonna consider it pure joy when I face trials of many kind. I think this is the thing about the kingdom of God. Jesus actually compares it to a narrow gate. I think wisdom is a narrow gate, which means a lot of people are gonna miss it, right? They're gonna miss this. This truth that I just preached on this morning is a hard truth that many people will reject because they're like, man, I would rather live the good life here and now. And you don't even realize that you are developing a hunger that can never be satisfied. It will never be satisfied. It's a thirst that you will never quench. And Jesus is saying, come, drink from the living water, walk down the, the narrow path, the road less traveled, and watch what I do inside of you. That's why I love our Lent journey of prayer and fasting, because it is hard, but it reorders my desires. It reorders the, my hungers and passions, and now, now the things that I desired, I don't desire, and, and I can focus my attention on God and the things of the kingdom. It's doing the hard things. My trip with Jackson, um, was a culmination of a year-long journey that me and him have been on through the life of Joseph. And it, was, it really is about from boyhood to manhood. And um, part of it is learning how to do hard things. And he was 12 years old this year, and we began to walk through this journey of, guess what? Things happened to Joseph that Joseph didn't deserve. And his family turned their back on him. And then he did everything right. And Potiphar's wife accused him, and he was thrown in prison. And then he was forgotten. And how we know part of becoming a man is saying, I'm gonna choose to do the hard things because I believe the hard things lead to fruit. And we've been on this journey together of embracing the hard stuff. Oh, is it difficult to walk in sexual freedom as a teenage boy? It can be, but we're gonna do it because we're gonna rip this out of the darkness and we're gonna expose it to the light. And we're gonna choose to walk faithfully. We're gonna be honest right? That's hard. No, that's hard. Don't raise your hand. I know you don't want to raise your hand, but like, it's hard. I'll, I'll say that's difficult. But the hard things lead life. They produce fruit. They reorder and they, redesire, they reorder the desires of our heart around contentment. I think our response 
So the word of God must be obedience. We can't simply be hearers of the word, but we must be doers, right? That's next week, James. So let me ask you these two questions as we wrap up this morning. Number one, is there currently a trial or testing in your life where God wants to shift your thinking or perspective? Something that you're like, maybe you've just been despising it. Maybe it's not something that you have had the perspective of joy. But you're gonna choose, not faking it, but saying, God, I'm gonna gonna take joy in who you are and gratitude and thankfulness in the midst of this. Number two, is there something you are pursuing to find contentment out of your relationship, outside of your relationship with Christ? Is there something that you're pursuing to satisfy and you know it doesn't satisfy? And you're like Paul and you're like James and Jesus who are inviting us on this journey of saying, you wanna be in a place where you lack nothing? Then surrender everything. Stop chasing. If there's something you're chasing this morning, I invite you to leave it at the foot of the cross. Don't pick it up, don't carry it out with you. If you would this morning, stand to your feet with me across this place. We're gonna prepare our hearts to come to the table to receive Jesus this morning. Go ahead and prepare your hearts. As we prepare ourselves, if you would look towards the screen, we're gonna say our table liturgy together this morning. Would you say it with me? For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burdened, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, The table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. City Church, I want you to know today that as we come to the table, this is God's great invitation to us. Right where you're at, This is God's invitation to you. His way of saying, I love you completely and fully, not partially, that God is not disappointed with you. God, unlike human relationships, does not withhold his love love to you based on your performance, amen? The table is God's way of saying, I loved you so passionately that I gave you what I loved the most, my son, in your place. That's how much I love you. I want you to know in this room this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, God loves you endlessly. No matter what you may think or what somebody else has said, God passionately pursues you. You are a son and daughter. As we come in just a minute to take the body and the blood of Jesus, we invite you to take Jesus as Lord and Savior today, that today can be your day to enter into the perfect love of God. For us who are followers of Jesus, we do this every week. 
Jesus, as he's in the upper room with his disciples, he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it. He said, this is my body broken for you. I'm gonna be ripped apart so that you can be made whole and be put back together. I did this for you. And then Jesus would take the cup, the cup of his suffering, the blood poured out for you and I on the cross and he would say, I will do this, my shed blood for you. That one day when you and I stand before the creator of the universe, even though our sin says we deserve death, the blood of Jesus says you're gonna be given life, amen? So this morning, we're gonna prepare our hearts to receive as a family of God. As a community of faith, we're gonna step out of our seats in just a minute because we are all nothing without the cross, amen? And, and confess our shared need for the body and the blood of Jesus. If our communion team would begin to come this way and prepare the elements. If you're in the room, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes one more time with me, I'm gonna pray over you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place to move in our hearts. God, whatever we may need this morning, you are here to meet us. God, we, we felt strongly about this this morning. Even pre-service prayer, there's some individuals that are walking into this room that may have not been in a church for a while or somehow found themselves into this room and they're not sure about the love of God towards them. God, I pray this morning that you would capture their heart with your love, that you are not in a position of disappointment, but you are drawing them. You're fully loved more than you could ever imagine. God, would we live in your love and goodness today? As we take the body and, body and blood of Jesus, would we leave all of our sins and things at the foot of the cross? All of the things that we carried into this room, God, we're not gonna carry back out. We're gonna leave them at the foot, the feet of Jesus this morning. We thank you, Father. And as we step out as one family, God, we confess we are nothing without Jesus. We thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. As you're ready, you're gonna step out of your section to the right, come forward. They're gonna give you a piece of bread. You can dip it in the juice and take communion here or back at your seat. As you're prepared, go ahead and come to the table.